from multiple jump scare locations in Minneapolis or somewhere around the world, this is Nice Games Club, the show where nice game devs talk games and game development. I'm Ellen Burns Johnson and I make nice games. Also, I'm flying solo this week. It's a nice games panel. I'll be moderating a discussion with a group of super cool guests. In this episode, we're going to be talking about designing horror games, multiple members of the DreadX Games Forum. So if everyone is ready, let's start. Okay, let's introduce our guests. Um, we're going to start with Sam again, like we talked about. <laughs> so let's do your name, your preferred pronouns, and just a one sentence about what you do. Hello, I'm uh, Samuel Guglielmo. I I uh, go by he, him, and I uh, I edit scripts and do marketing and write sometimes too. All right, on to our next guest. Nick, are you there? My name is Nick. I'm an indie game developer. Been doing horror games for like seven years. Um, preferred pronouns he, him. Um, I'm a hobbyist mostly. I, I do like all sorts of stuff. Uh, really like sports and things like that. I mean, seasonal skiing and, and things like that. Uh, my name is... Oh, should I just I just go? Yeah, jump into all it. Right. Yeah, awesome. Uh, my name is Connor Rush, uh, preferred pronouns he, him. And I've been doing game dev for about 12 years now, um, mostly just doing small narrative uh, games, a little horror twist, uh, walking sim type stuff. I'm also a, an avid music lover and musician. All right, I'm Shara. Hi, I'm Shara Weiss, she, her. I design video games. I build them. I am a Unity generalist. I am currently building the game uh, Dread Delusion as like one of the two main developers on that. Um, and I previously directed a few horror games. Very cool. I am Henry Hoare. Yes, pronounced like that. Uh, preferred pronouns, he, they. Uh, I help run Dread XP, the horror games publisher, and I am one of the two people who made Bloodwash and Night at the Gates of Hell and the upcoming Sniper Killer for Puppet Combo's publishing label. Wait, Henry, you did Bloodwash? Yeah, that's I that's had me. no idea. <laughs> I love that game. That's such a good game. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, to that end, um, we touched on this before we actually started recording, but you, a lot of you either know each other directly or you work with each other or you're part of the same community. I'm wondering if a couple of you might want to jump in and talk to that a little bit. Like, how do you know each other? There's this Dread X name that's been floating around in the conversation. Explain to our listeners what the deal is with that. What's the deal with Dread XP? Yeah. Say anyone um, go first? I guess I'll go first. Sure. sure. So Dread XP is an indie horror game publisher. Uh, we originally put out the Dread X collections, which were collections of indie horror games, little projects. I believe the original goal was to give it started during COVID and it was to give uh, people who needed something to do, needed jobs, needed money, a little, uh, you know, spend seven days on this game jam, get paid for it. And we'll publish it all together as a, uh, as the Dread X collection. That's how Dread started. Since then we've moved into publishing, uh, Bigger games, we have, you know, the Mortuary Assistant, Dread Delusion. Um, Amanda the Adventure, Amanda, yeah. My Friendly Neighborhood. Amanda, My Friendly Neighborhood. Uh, and several others that I could spend like 10 minutes. No, I could really spend like 10 seconds listening to all that many games. But, <laughs> a bunch know, more. <laughs> we have other games. They're all good. Um, and that's our that's our niche. We make indie horror games and indie horror adjacent games and that's 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 the short version of it that's what we do so that there's like that little connection uh so me and nick were were part of said collection uh the fifth time around so dreadx collection 5 uh both me and nick were contacted to make a little uh horror game for it it was i think two two months was the deadline on that one it could be yeah, mistaken. roughly, I think. So, I was, I was like about that. to also say uh, Connor's my arch nemesis. Um, <laughs> oh, <but> yeah. <laughs> Am I? This is a, this is a development. <laughs> yeah, no, you didn't respond to my to my DM, so you wouldn't know. But... <laughs> I'm I'm so. This is all news to me. You're my no, arch joking. nemesis. This is news to <laughs> me. <laughs> this is a very one sided rivalry. I'm I'm shocked. <laughs> So the Dreadx the Dreadx collection's on its fifth iteration is what I just heard. 
That was the most recent one, yes. Got it. Okay. And some of you, if not all of you, have been involved for multiple iterations. I think I, I was in the first two. Henry, you were in the first two? Okay, cool. And Shira, how about you? I haven't been in the DreadX collection. I ended up actually working for DreadX um, because originally they had scouted me for a game, and that ended up not panning out. But um, when basically when that ended up not working out, I really needed money for housing, and so they were like, oh, great. Um, well, we can give you this job on Dread Delusion. We need a person. So I've been working on that for about a year and a half. Well, I'm glad that we kind of talked about our immediate connections because one of the things that I wanted to ask everybody is, you know, how did you get into horror games? Was it, you know, part of this community or did it predate that or just, you know, go back to the beginnings? What got you into horror games? And let's start with Henry. Uh, yeah, I always tell people I accidentally fell into only making and working on horror games. Uh, always liked horror movies since I was a kid, but started with like a, a, project in college that I uploaded on itch.io and that got me exploring indie horror there which connected me to some other game developers that I worked with for a while Scythe dev team um yeah that led into the dreadx collection the first two I worked on those with with Scythe dev team and through all that I met my dev partner uh, Jordan King I made bloodwash and such with let's hear from someone else uh Sam do you want to go next sure so uh I hated horror for the longest time, uh, I I am a scared baby child. I like outside of I think I played Resident Evil Four and Dead Space, and those are good games, but they're not like super scary horror games. And I uh, was working actually on the journalism side. I worked on the reviews editor for the site Tech Raptor, and I decided on a whim to look at the first Dreadx collection. I don't actually remember what. Uh, made me do that. So uh, I kind of got involved in the community and the guy who was running DreadXP at the time, uh, he was looking for more people to work on the journalism site because DreadXP, before it was a game publisher, was kind of like, it was a spinoff of Dread Central, supposed to be a journalism site. He said he needed more writers and I said, I'm right good because I'm really good at my <laughs> job, I guess. And that is actually what I said too. And I got hired on the spot because of that. I don't know why. Then uh, as we did less the journalism side. I moved more towards the writing side. I started editing our game scripts, and then I began writing on some of our games. So that's kind of how I got involved. I have a very similar um, to, to Henry. I got in totally by accident uh, into horror. I, I was a developer for a long time. I, when I was like eight years old, I, I really knew I wanted to make games. Uh, and on my crappy little laptop that an eight-year-old would have in whatever year, 20, 2010, uh, I downloaded Unity for the first time. And I just kind of figured it out from there. And, and my primary passion was in um, linear narrative games. I, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of the, the so-called walking simulators like Edith Finch, Firewatch, like that type of stuff is a uh, is, is a big deal for me. And I've always had like an appreciation for horror, like horror games, horror movies. I, I love that stuff, especially like artsy slow burn type of deal. But uh, then Dread X reached out to me. Uh, it was a very big surprise to me. I never had any communication before. They're like, hey, you heard of Dread X collection? And I was like, yeah. And they're like, well, we're doing it again. And they they offered me uh, a spot on the fifth collection. And I was able to make a little game called We Never Left. And that was my my first d dive into horror. And I, I fell in love with making it. And after that, my my up the game I'm working on now is is a horror project uh, because of Dread X. So I, I very much appreciate uh, the, the onset of that and that passion. Very good. Let's do Shara and then Nick. So um, my background making games. So I uh, games were always my special interest. I wanted to make games when I was very small. So I first learned Fusion when I was like 11. And I made a bunch of games when I was in high school, just like various kinds of things. I don't know. Um, but like, uh, I think um, I think you mentioned uh, getting into Unity around like, yeah, 2010, 2011. That's yeah, I started doing Unity because I wanted to make, I guess now we would call it a boomer shooter, you know, but uh, I worked on that for a while. It never came out because Unity doesn't really have built-in level design tools. But um, yeah, so basically I've been making making various games since since then, um, Some sometimes on teams. I think I'm most known for a game called In the Crags, which is like a, um, it's a narrative game. Some people might categorize it as a walking sim, although it also has some degree of like adventure elements, but 
sort of a third-person adventure game. Um, and I also directed a horror game called The Devil, which is how I sort of uh, made a lot of connections in the in the uh, indie horror community and kind of started to get into that scene. And that's what led to uh, you know me making these connections with DreadXP, which is why I work for them now. Thank you. Okay, Nick, you're last up. Explain your origin story. Six or seven years ago, I decided I want to try game dev because I've always liked creating things. So if a game allowed, you know, they had any sort of creator toolkit, I was always on that. I would always be on like the level creators or whatever. So I decided to try my own game. Uh, Funnily enough, my dad suggested it. I was thinking what I should do with my life because I had to choose a, a high school. Uh, where I live, high schools also have professions. So you choose what you want to do in your high school. And he said, okay, well, yeah, since you love playing games, why don't you make one? And I said, sure. And I chose Unity because it was the only thing on my desktop at the time. I just did like sort of Call of Duty type of games for maybe like two years, just kind of learning the engine, learning programming. And uh, in 2020, I made SCP Nucalypse, which for some reason it hit uh, right as the pandemic started, and it really boomed in popularity, unfortunately, because it was a, an awful game. It was my first ever game, and it became really popular. Maybe like a year later, I decided to completely redo the game, start from the ground up, made it look a lot better. And someone, a Let's Player, played played the game and got a quarter of a million views. So what had happened was someone at DreadXP was scrolling YouTube randomly and found the video of this game transforming into this much better game. And they decided to to contact me and they were like, hey, we're working on a DreadX collection. Have you ever heard of us? And I'm like, no. And they're like, OK, well, we do anthology games. You know what those are? I'm like, no. And they're like, OK, well, we do like game jams. Is, is that cool? I'm like, I don't know. And I, I'll be completely honest. I thought it was a scam because I get tons of emails saying, oh, we're looking for developers who will make this game in one minute for one million dollars. And you know the way they they worded it i legitimately thought it was a scam i was about to tell them i'm not interested and then i was like you know what i'll let you explain and they're like okay so you know we do as sam said and i was like all right sure let's do it and um yeah uh from there worked with them for a little bit made spirit guardian um not the most proud of it but it's it's something i guess <laughs> every game that gets released is a little miracle i think it's yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we're we're happy every single time we get one of our games over the line. Yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely something to celebrate. Speaking of celebrating, we're here to talk about horror, right? And one of the things that I wanted to kind of apply to the conversation was the lens of like designing horror. So we have um, a lot of different backgrounds in our audience, people who are hobbyists, people who are indie devs. We have a few people out there who are probably in AAA and so on and so forth. Um, I want to go back to the basics just for one second and, and just ask you all about what makes a horror game horror and not something else, right? So, you know, we categorize things in genres to make them easy to find. It also is something that we are, you know, we create a language around it so that people can pull from some similar languages as they're making a, a something, whether that's a movie or a video game. I'm curious what it means to you to make something that's like a horror game. And you can use whatever language you want to explain that. Um, I just want to hear it from you all because you've been doing it. So let's start with um, let's start with Connor this time, and we'll go from there. Oh, I'm gonna have such a bad answer for this. That's okay. So I, <laughs> I, again, I like I like started horror for the first time doing my DreadX project, and I I like to think I did a decent job on it. Uh, uh, however, of an early start that was. For, I, thank you, Nick. I got a thumbs up. But I, I wish I had like a set of ground rules that I use to hmm. to make something horror, but I really don't. I, I I'm almost just imitating um, things I've seen. Like like I said before, I'm I'm a big fan of horror. Like one of my <laughs> favorite movies of all time is uh, The Lighthouse, um, and I love that like droney, quiet, like dread building. Not to plug the name, but dread building type of feeling, and that's always kind of enticed me. Along with just like the general macabre, and I, I try to emulate that the best I can in game form so it's a lot of like a lot of silences a lot of um things happening right out of the corner of the camera a lot of um building droning sounds i'm not a big jump scare guy personally uh but that that's that's kind of what horror is to me it's just that that feeling of unsettling dread that builds up and and i think i'm attracted a lot to it because of just how how many stories you can tell with it and how impactful of a medium it 
can be. Um, the, the question was about designing, though, right? Like, that's the best I could answer. I, I imitate movies a lot and things I've seen, and I do my best doing that. You're like trying to recreate a specific kind of emotional experience. That yeah, you yeah, had. yeah. Yeah. Okay. That tracks. All right. Let's do Shara and then Sam. Uh, the way the way I kind of took the original question is just sort of like defining horror a little bit more. Yeah. Um, and what I see horror as, because I think it's not something that can really be super strictly narrowed down, but I sort of see it as like an orientation towards a certain um, like realm of human experience, you know, which I think in like a lot of approaches um, you would not want to touch. Like if you're, if your goal, if you were not making something that is horror, you would not want to touch certain things necessarily that you really want to explore with horror. And so I think that it's not always productive to say like, oh, to be horror, it must have X, Y, and Z ingredient, you know? Cause I think that at this point we've seen how you can have a horror take on pretty much any existent genre, you know, like you can build a horror game from a, from a Zelda ROM hack or you can, you know, build a, like, like, uh, like a lot of the most popular horror games are really more like RPGs. The whole genre survival horror was kind of born from combining adventure games, like alone in the dark with RPGs like Sweet Home. So like, you know, I think that like horror isn't like a, like a genre in the, in, in the regular game sense. And it's also not like an aesthetic. Um, but yeah, so I think of it more as an orientation or like a, an approach. Uh, if you say your project's horror, sure. Um, I, I just recently, so recently, uh, one of our devs, Brian Darkstone Digital, he made the Mortuary Assistant, uh, put out a tweet asking people if the movie Hocus Pocus is horror, which it's a Disney movie from I want to say the late nineties, early two thousands, yeah, yeah, somewhere around 90s, there. Classic. It is a classic. Yes. Is it horror? I, I think so. It's horror aimed at kids, but it is horror. I, I'm really broad on the genre. I, I could see anything going from like an ultra gory shootout, like uh, Hotline Miami could be horror to the right person. Um, Obviously, there's like an extent, like I'm not going to say Peppa Pig is horror. Well, going on itch.io, there's a lot of Peppa Pig horror games. So, you know, what do I know? Uh, like, there's obviously a limit, but... I, I'm pretty broad and like, if, if you say your game's horror, hey man, I believe you, I'm willing to open up that might just kind of be a horror I don't get, and I'm more than happy to find out. I don't know, Sam, Peppa Pig's got two eyes on one side of her face, I find that pretty terrifying. It, you know... It is pretty creepy. It's all a matter of perspective. <laughs> Peppa Pig is terrifying when you're like me and have three younger sisters. Uh, okay, I want to hear, I do want to hear from, I think, the other two folks on this particular question. How do we define horror? How do we think about it? Um, let's do Nick, and then we'll end this question with Henry. Okay, so I just like Sam, I'm I'm a scaredy cat. I I don't particularly like horror. My girlfriend loves horror. I hate horror movies and and anything related to horror. As in, I mean, I love playing horror games and things. I just hate being terrified. Um, usually, she's the one covering my eyes whenever there's like a, a scene that I don't like. <laughs> but um, I, I I got into SCP. A couple of years before I started, I finished my game, my first one, and that's what sort of got me into the horror genre. A lot of SCP isn't really horror, but it could be interpreted as maybe slightly terrifying or disturbing or whatever. It ranges a, a lot. For me and the listeners, SCP, can we define that real quick? Sure. Yeah. So SCP is a sort of internet novel, I guess you could say, um, written by a collaboration of of many different writers, and it sort of is supernatural anomalous entities and, and events and things like that oh yep no i know what you're talking about now rang a bell uh yeah no so i've never really been into horror but reading scp really sort of um i don't know it, it, it sort of terrified me but also was really intriguing in a way and i thought i should try to recreate that feeling using a game a medium that you know i could understand a lot better than writing and so i tried creating my own horror game the issue is as someone who never plays horror games I don't know how to really make a good horror game. I've sort of learned over the over the years, of course, um, you know, more tricks and things like that, less jump scares, more actual terrifying and, and you know, creepy encounters and things like that. But yeah, I think overall horror can be anything that invokes any sort of feeling of of being scared, being doesn't necessarily have to be scary. It could be slightly disturbing, it could be, you know, causing anxiety in any way, but in that sort of sense. Back to the emotional experience. All right, Henry. 
Anything to add? Uh, at this point, maybe not so much. Uh, I, I really liked Shira's answer. Uh, kind of hit it to, to a T for me. Um, it's, it's a theme, mm-hmm. I would say. It's a theme people can use to varying degrees. I, in general, really dislike genre and genre discussions and label. Like, I find it very reductive when it's trying to be the opposite. And I think that speaks to how I accidentally wound up working in, like, only horror games. Uh, like, did, did not have that intention. Coming from how, how I approach designing games in general, just what feeling am I trying to get the player to experience? And then breaking it down from there, further. Like, answer that question. Okay, what are the best ways to do that? Most like what makes what would make me feel that way, and so on. Um, yeah, horror is a theme rather than a genre, like you said. Yep. Yeah. Um. So, my next question for you all. I'm curious what if we if we're if we're going to step away from the idea of horror as a genre, which is what I'm hearing from you all. That totally makes sense. Um, and our point for today was not really to have a genre discussion anyway, right? We're talking about how do you get that feeling? You know, what's the process that you use? I'm curious what you have found to be, uh, when it comes to horror, what have you found success with and what have you tried to stay away from, both in games that you've played that you consider to be horror games and also maybe games that you've made that you're aiming to be horror games? And let's let's start with Shara this time and then we will go on... We'll go to Nick after that. I really so I I I've, I play a lot of horror games and I've been playing them since I was probably like a teenager. Um, they're like you know one of my favorite genres. And but one thing that I have found is that playing horror games a lot, you start to really tap into like all these like formulas and like mm-hmm. rhythms that that most games are built around. Um, and I think that most people who play a lot of horror games start to start to notice these things. It's like uh you know, you, you get a gun and then in the next room, there's a zombie or like, you know, you have a save point and then, in the, you know, like, right. Like they, they like they're just these little, these little game design cues, you know, you don't have a weapon yet. So nothing can hurt you, you know, at mm. a certain point, you know, these kinds of things, like I haven't gotten my gun yet, so I'm not going to actually have to deal with anything serious. Like those kinds of, uh, things. And, 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 and so the games start to feel really, uh, really toothless. And so when I design horror games, I try to actually kind of fuck with the player in terms of their predictions based on game design stuff. So like, like I'll um, like in the devil, for example, uh, I start giving the player bullets right at the very beginning. And like, at first it's not even clear, like, are these bullets for a gun? Like, am I going to use these? Does this game have combat? Is it a narrative game? Is it, you know, like, how does it work? Basically building the game around this slow burn, but having all these game design cues to, to, to make players predict that certain predictable things are going to happen and then playing with that mm-hmm. to, to further ratchet up the tension, you know, and like ultimately deliver when they're not expecting it. Yeah. I feel like that's, that for me is like just something that I love about horror games in particular, but also, also like, yeah, working. I know, I know, right. We've just been talking about horror as not a genre, but also like there, there are like established game design genres, like, like survival horror, Mm-hmm. is is a very established genre so like making a you know making a genre survival horror game kind of gave me a lot of tools i think to um to to like kind of have this uh be able to basically play with the conditioning that players already have from other games yeah i like that i like the idea of just like what you mentioned there about just when do you get the bullets it seems like just this very small decision but it's those decisions i imagine you know, aggregated that helps reinforce that feeling you're going for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Nick, you're up. So I completely agree with Shira. So me as, as someone who hasn't really played a lot of horror, doesn't really play horror too much. I watch a lot of horror, like Let's Plays. I, I love watching them. I just cannot play them. Uh, I've learned a little bit about how people react to things. I really like uh, seeing people play my games to see what's scary, what isn't, uh, things like that. What I've learned is a lot of times I, I always stay away from jump scares. Um, I, I think in certain scenarios, they are good. I think a lot of people say never, ever use jump scares. I think they are good. They have their place, but they are overused a lot. It, you know, since Five Nights at Freddy's and whatnot, they have been really overused, and especially indie indie horror games. Um, the indie horror games that really shine are the ones that, you know, build a feeling of dread, no pun intended, um, with, you know, liminal space, back rooms, uh, things like that. Um, with my game in 2020, what I did, even though I wasn't 
you know that experience what i did was my whole gimmick for the game was that it was scp but the whole point was you had a gun which you know people were like oh okay so i just find the gun and then you know i'm, I'm home free so what i what i decided to do is i would you know have the players first their objective would be to find the gun that is sort of their ultimate objective they think that is their saving grace right they find the gun only to realize that the bullets are so extremely rare that they would have to navigate more of the facility only to, you know, die again and, and see more monsters and things like that. Uh, and then when they got enough bullets, they would realize that pretty soon uh, it, the gun wasn't useless, but pretty much it... Sounds like it was limited, you know? Oh, sorry? Like it, was, it sounds like it was just very deliberately limited, right? Like mm. the gun is useful, but not a magic not not like a magic solution to all your problems because it, from what you're saying it sounds like the ammo is extremely limited yeah right, what i'm just... saying is yeah no you're right you're right because yeah the the ammo was limited the gun could kill things i i saw let's plays of people finding optimal routes to find as much ammo as possible in order to kill the monsters so yes it is possible it's not like i programmed the gun to do nothing they can die it's just at a certain point you're doing so much stuff so much work so much you know fighting all these monsters to get the gun that in the end, you don't even feel safe with it because in the end it's kind of a liability. You're like, Oh, now I feel safe with this gun. Pew, pew, pew. You start shooting it. And then you realize it did absolutely nothing. And now you're even more terrified because the thing that you thought was so extremely powerful is super weak. And then that's usually when the you know, adrenaline starts kicking. They're like, Oh no, I screwed up. Playing with those expectations. Yeah. Henry, I thought I saw you um, nodding a little bit ago. Yeah, uh, really agreeing again with everything Shira was saying. Uh, I find horror has a lot to do with knowledge, uh, having it, not having it, when it's given, taken, and so on. Um, people are generally afraid of the unknown. A lot of it is playing with expectations and uh, carefully deciding when to provide knowledge. Um in in games, there is an extra layer you can play with, uh, where you can choose to give information to the player, but maybe not necessarily the character that they're controlling, or vice versa. Um, really serves to build tension. Bloodwash, uh, a game I, I made, takes place at a laundromat and has a real-time component where you wait for your laundry to be done. What you do during that time is up to you. There's a bunch of different options. Uh, and at face value, that sounds dumb and boring, right? But <laughs> uh, contextually, uh, with with setup for you know giving the player a reason to be scared that something is going to happen, and then really not doing anything for a long time, the whole middle hour of that game, you could say nothing happens, but it makes something happening towards the end that much stronger. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right, I want to kind of shift gears a little bit. I kind of have a question for you. It's kind of a follow-on of this one. Um, you said you've been doing indie games for a while, and I'm curious what you see. If like there's um, what you see the relationship between like the experimental nature of indie games is, along with what we've been talking about for the last like five to ten minutes about horror and the desire to like subvert expectations or at least play with expectations. Is there like a synergy there or what kind of relationship yes. do you see? Okay. I, I 100% agree. Yes. Uh, I was talking to a friend about this, like, like three days ago about um, the, the differences right now between like the triple a and the indie space when it comes to video games. Um, the triple the a space can't take risks really. Right. Like game games are very expensive. They're uh, they, they want to get something they know is going to sell something with an IP in a genre that they know people like. Um, but that's why I think indies are, are really, really pushing the industry forward right now is that uh, it, indie games can take risks and they can try things new because they don't have a, a board of executives like breathing down their neck to to deliver uh, like big shares, you know. Um, and, and on that note, you can do a lot of fun things with horror. Like uh, one of my favorite horror games, uh, and and it's someone that the, the Dread X people are very familiar with, is... Uh, um, Lost in Vivo. <laughs> uh, that that is one of my favorite horror games of all time, and that does so many weird things that I don't think you could do in a, a major game space. It feels so dirty and bizarre and and grimy, but in an artistic. I, I I'm sorry, I'm just like gushing over this one game now, but 
Yeah, I know. I definitely think that being able to take those risks and being able to do some weird stuff lends to that element of surprise in that um, really subverting expectations of what the player would expect from not just a horror game, but a, a game in general. Mm-hmm. And I think it has to do with our, one of our previous uh, discussion topics, right? Of like horror being less of a genre and more of a theme. So the the bounds of it are really wide. Um, like Shira brought up, like survival horror, there are genres and uh, guidelines for those specific things, but horror can be anything, uh, which just adds to that ability to experiment and get really weird and creative. That's cool. Anyone want to add to that? Uh, I, I do agree with everyone else, basically, that uh, horror should be severe next patients. I like when they subvert expectation with that with comedy. I think comedy and horror always go well together. I mean, like I'm a little biased. The first game I got to work on, uh, I edited the entire script for uh, Sucker for Love First Date, which you know is a game where you summon Cthulhu. Only Cthulhu is cute, and you want to kiss her. <laughs> it does still have horror elements. You are ending the world. You're doing horrible rituals that, uh, when you get a peek outside, you just see everything's terrible. Uh, your entire face gets ripped off at one point. Like, it is a horror game, but it is hilarious. Not the face ripping off part. That's a little dark, but the game itself is really funny. Another game I always thought did well, uh, again, to bring back, it's more horror themed than horror genre, is uh, uh, Ghostwire Tokyo. For the most part, it is like a big open world uh, horror game. There's people are turning into monsters. You're kind of... You, you spend like the whole game making, I, I don't know what they call it, like the, the symbols with your hand, like ooh, the, the Naruto symbols and shooting <laughs> magical spells out of your hand. It's a great way to describe it. I'm, I'm doing great right now. Um, and it, it, there is horror elements to the game. There's a lot of, you know, the monster design is like fantastic. Uh, the, there's a lot of just genuinely creepy moments. There's one side quest and it's very silly because the side quest is a dude is trapped in a bathroom and needs you to find toilet paper. And that's that's very, very silly. And then you realize, oh, they're making me go into bathrooms. And nothing good happens in a horror game in a bathroom. And they, they manage to combine horror and comedy in a great way. And I, I always feel that's that's my favorite expectation bending sort of thing. I, I think that's where horror shines the most personally. Seems like a combination of extremes. I saw Shara just cackle with delight a moment ago oh. when you mentioned the combination of horror. So I want to hear what's going through her mind. <laughs> oh, um, I don't remember exactly what I was laughing at, but um, I, I do have some thoughts about this as like, uh, well, so, so the, so the game that I'm, that I've been contracting on for the last year and a half, Dread Delusion. It's a it's a it's a horror themed RPG, right? It's a um, kind of a imsim CRPG kind of thing. Uh, it's like first person RPG, mostly drawing on like the Elder Scrolls in terms of gameplay. Okay, I'd say, but like obviously simplified quite a bit um, in the in that little indie type of way. But uh, you know, in terms of like building that, right? It's like a very different approach to horror than what I would normally take, where like you know I'm 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 very I'm very into having like uh like a horror game that will like kind of like hurt the player to the extent that it can you know Siren is one of my favorite horror games like I like I like painful horror personally like um but uh but but this game is not is not as much that and it's a um and it's been a, a different approach to horror for me which um which I think is really interesting where it's like looking it's 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 more centering like horror themes in the narrative and in the the art design the concepts the world building yeah having having horror within all that but it's still being ultimately like a um you know like a a fun action-oriented uh rpg with like a strong narrative the narrative is interesting yeah yeah it's not just mechanically it's it's building a narrative around that that's super interesting right yeah totally yeah no i mean like um the thing is that, um, you know, we were just talking about like setting expectations and these kinds of things. And like the game kind of begins, it does like begin itself as like being like very much like, you know, like what, what I guess um, one would expect in terms of the level of horror of like a, you know, an RPG release 
now and it, it gets like progressively more disturbing as you get deeper into the into the world so you know there's like there's um there's a lot there but it's um it's not it's not really built into um into the mechanics in the way that um i guess like a lot of people would require that for it to be considered a horror game if that makes sense hmm. you know it's not like there's like jump scares but there are situations where we'll design a town you know or, or a dungeon like i'll do enemy placements that are supposed to like make the player suddenly get cornered and trapped you know or mm. things like that right mm-hmm. you know and just like you've come into it expecting maybe something a little bit a little bit gentler and that you know leaves like a little bit of room to just be a little nasty while still being like a friendly rpg that like normal people can play that's cool that's an interesting like constraint that you've given yourself is this line that you've got to walk between kind of yeah, totally. pulling from one thing and then also, you know, like you said, that orientation of the horror that you're trying to work into the gameplay. Yeah. Well, so the game originally started as like a walking sim or roughly like it was, you know, like a, a linear narrative game that didn't have um, combat of any kind, you know. And I think that it's, you know, when, when I got brought on, um, I feel like I kind of pushed them to basically... Uh, take a little bit better advantage of combat, which I think was originally going to be sort of almost like a background element, like maybe only 5% hmm. of gameplay. Um, yeah. So it's one of those things that kind of, you know, things change through iteration. That makes sense. Definitely. Steven, Steven, yeah, we, we have a minute in the middle of the episode all to ourselves. Ooh, yeah. And really, with you and me, this is now way too many people for one episode of this game <laughs> show, I think. Agreed. <laughs> so where I, where should we go if we want to be involved in this episode, oh. even though Ellen kicked us out right when she started recording? It's <laughs> a very good question. I, we could go to the Discord, probably. Abroad. Yeah. We can also like have conversations with previous guests. On our Discord as well. That's right. I have seen guests on Nice Games Club show up in the Discord yeah. to continue the conversation. Yeah. Then we won't be so lonely because it's just us two. All right. So let's say I want to go there. How do I get there? You can go to nicegames.club slash Discord. Okay. One more time because I didn't hear it quite fully. Nicegames.club slash Discord. All right. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. They've designed must-have travel styles for when you need to jet. The lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit makes these shoes some of the most packable styles ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Take the Super Light Tree Runner on your next adventure. Its cushy, lightweight foam midsole supports every step, and the extra outsole traction gives you the grip to just go for it. The Eucalyptus Fiber Upper adds next-level breathability to keep you going all day. Plus, the Super Light Tree Runner is comfortable and ready to go right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Super Light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. Uh, I'm curious to, you know, hear from each of you just high level, right? We can't, there are probably some specifics we can't talk about, but high level, you know, what are you working on right now? And when it comes to sort of the things we've been talking about so far, artistically, what are your goals for that project? Um, so obviously I don't want you to reveal anything that you'll get in trouble for revealing, but if you could talk about that a little high, at a high level, uh, I'm curious, and I think our listeners are curious um, what your goals are for this next thing that you're working on. Um, we talked a little bit about what you're working on, Shara. So let's go to Sam, and then we'll go to Henry after that. Um, so currently, uh, yes, we have announced it. Okay, sorry. <laughs> currently, I am working as an associate writer for our upcoming Creepshow game, 
which I had to double check to make sure we've actually announced, which yes, yeah. we have. So <laughs> yes. Okay. So yeah. So I'm currently uh, working as associate writer on our upcoming creep show game. I can't say more than that for mm-hmm. obvious reasons, mm-hmm. but um, the the goal that I would love is, I think I mentioned it. Well, I did mention it a little earlier. I, I would love to creep show is a very comedy horror sort of thing. And if I can make someone laugh and then get scared within two minutes of each other at some point in this game, that would be, that's my goal. Creepshow isn't where you tell like a super, super serious story. It's where you kind of have a bit of goofy B-movie horror fun. And my goal is just, I want people to be entertained and I will save the very serious horror for the next thing I work on. So, uh, yeah, for my own work outside of Dread XP, uh, I am working on Sniper Killer right now. Uh, the third game I will have made with Jordan King, my collaborator. Goals, uh, we've we've had a pattern of each game progressively increasing the amount of gameplay and polish complexity, mm-hmm. like a very uh, measured tactical approach to getting better at making games over the past few years. Bloodwash, the first one, three years two or three years ago now, was a walking sim for all intents and purposes. Night of the Gates of Hell was a pretty basic uh, first-person shooter. Sniper Killer has evolved into a... If you've ever played like old uh, Flash games with Stickman, Sniper, assassination stuff, that was one of the key inspirations. A very not-horror thing, but uh, Jordan and I are both big Flash game fans. Um, so re- really creatively... We just aim to increase the polish each time. Uh, we've really, like in, in Bloodwash, anyone who's played or you go back and look, uh, NPCs that you can talk to are completely static and just stand still. Um, <laughs> uh, borderline T-posing a lot of the time. And so in, in Sniper Killer, we've really tried to build up uh, AI quality and have characters roaming around that you can stop and interact with and they go about their business and react to what you do. We found people really like the characters in our games. We're just trying to elevate that, make it more engaging. All right, let's go to Connor and then Nick. At the moment, I'm sort of focusing on horror games that have a specific theme Um you know, much more, I guess, shorter than... I've I've realized that the scope of my games is kind of getting out of hand. Every time I would, you know, think of a really simple concept, it would just blow out of proportion, and then I'd, I'd end up not finishing the project. So that's why right away setting goals is is super important, you know, and feature creep is is awful because, you know, you, you'll be thinking, oh, well, why not just add NPCs? I was, well, since I'm adding NPCs, why not add dialogue? And since I'm adding dialogue, I might as well get voice acting. And if I'm getting voice acting, I might as well do. And then you just, you keep on going until the scope of the game is is impossible to do. So that has happened a lot to me. And so um, what I've done to counteract that is by making more, more stylized, more shorter kind of experiences, um, I've started posting a lot more on, on itch and, and making these like kind of short horror experiences, you know, 15 to 30 minutes, maybe an hour at most, um, sort of linear kind of stories. And what I focus on most is getting one specific gameplay mechanic or element, and then sort of making that the whole point of the game. Uh, in one of my recent games, um, there was a camera and someone compared it to another game. I have no clue. I haven't, I haven't played it. Uh, any similarities that people tell me, oh, this is like, this other game, I don't like. I said I don't. I don't play a lot of horror games, so obviously the idea was was probably from somewhere else. Um, the whole premise of the game was that you're in this apartment building, you get a camera, and the camera serves as a normal camera. You can see things that you wouldn't normally see, but it also serves as the light source because every time you take a picture, it you know the the flash sort of illuminates the room, and so people would think of that as comfort. And then they would start taking pictures. But every time you take a picture, there's also a chance that you see something that isn't there and it can attack you. So either you're in the dark and nothing can attack you or you can see and then something can attack you. Mm. Um, I think focusing on one specific element is, is, is really important there. And Okay, so that was Nick. We're going to go to Connor next. My uh, my game currently has no studio affiliation, so I can say whatever I want. Uh, <laughs> Henry and Sam, consider this a pitch. Dread, Dread X, here we come. <laughs> uh, so anyone who's played my games 
knows that I treat my games very much uh, like movies. And, and I know a lot of people hate that. I see a lot of discourse about that. I don't care. I love super cinematic, like... Like, my games have letterboxing. I put, like, black bars at the top of the I love that stuff. But I treat my games very much uh, almost like like diaries to me. You know, I, I mentioned I'm also a musician, um, and, and I treat my games very similarly to how you treat, like, a piece of music. It's um, normally something I feel very passionate about, a theme, uh, a message I want to send, and and I put that into game form. And right now, um, I, I'm, I won't get into the thematics of it because... It's probably a year away from being done, but um, I want to do something that kind of resembles what you'd think of when you think like a stereotype A24 horror movie type deal. Like, you know, the that the lighthouse, the witch, hereditary, that that slow burn art house type horror um, in a very cinematic space, uh, bringing in a lot of elements of survival horror. So I'm I'm kind of doing combat for the first time. Uh, which which I'm very excited about. I'm kind of doing puzzle solving for the first time, which which I'm really excited about. Uh, I'm kind of going beyond my normal walking sim tendencies, which, you know, walking sims are great. I love it. It's like one of my favorite genres. Uh, but I'm trying to explore a bit beyond that as well as just kind of bringing in a lot of elements of things I like. So as I mentioned, you know, that slow burn art house horror, but also... Um, my biggest game inspirations are probably the works of Davy Reedon. Uh, like the Stanley Parable, Beginner's Guide, especially. I'm introducing a lot of stuff of that nature, uh, and and I think that will work really well in a horror space. I, I don't see it done a ton. I've seen it done, but not like to the level where I think it has potential. And I'm hoping to get something out of that. That's cool. It'd be fun to see how that works out. Um, Shira, I wanted to come back to you, just give you one chance to add on to what you were saying before. We kind of backed into that part of the conversation based on what you kind of sparked. Mm-hmm. Um, but did you want to add anything about your current project? Oh, yeah. Well, um, totally. So so uh, in terms of like the goals of the project, you know, so this is a game that I'm contracting on. So mm-hmm. it had already been in development for a long time before I came on. Yeah. And so there's sort of an element of like, there are goals that are stated and then there's also my own goals that that i you know that my my uh that i kind of you know it's like i I want to accomplish both of these things but so kind of the the orienting the guiding goals from from our director uh james rag is uh basically centering around um he wants to deliver an experience that's going to have a really strong atmosphere and sense of place and tell kind of a sweeping epic narrative within that and Mm. that's kind of like the core thing that he's trying to accomplish those are those are his ambitions and i think that a lot of what i've been trying to do is sort of ground that a little bit more and like kind of work on um how the game operates at a more zoomed in level so i think more of my personal goals have to do with making basically making the game feel sufficiently loved feeling sufficiently like uh we we really did give care and attention to the pieces of it you know because with the game so huge it uh that can be really challenging honestly to like fill a world and still fill it with things that we cared about you know where each part feels again like loved and like like a human put care into it mm-hmm. um so that's more my goal honestly for like you know because it, it's 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 a free roaming open world rpg and i think that the the value of something like that is largely in like um how yeah how how much how much care is there in the actual things you find you know are you finding things that um feel throw you know like a lot of open world games you know you run from objective to objective and they're kind of all the exact same thing you know and like we really don't want to do something like that we never wanted to make like we never wanted to make like a ubisoft style rpg yeah. You know, um, so, yeah. Yeah, whatever someone encounters in the game, you want it to feel like it was put there intentionally, not just sprinkled yeah. like salt. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. And and so, you know, I think me and James make a good team because uh, he has a little bit more of the zoomed out view and I will, you know, jump in and like kind of, you know, uh, redecorate areas or like, you know, just do do little things to like add, you know, little pieces of visual storytelling or whatever that make it, um, you know, feel like it has the zoomed in focus. It's just a lot to do for us. You know, it's a big game with a pretty small team. So, yeah. you know, lots to look at. Yeah. Okay. This one, I think, um, try to frame it up in a way I really like to, you know, I'll try to frame it up in a way that makes sense for everyone to just give their, their own opinion on it. Um, here's my last question for you all. 
I think I'm going to hear from Sam first, and then we'll go to Connor, and we'll go from there. My question for you is, for someone who's looking at making their first horror game, whether they've done a bunch of other games and they want to just orient themselves and their next game towards the feelings of horror, um, or whether they haven't made a game before at all, um, for someone making their very first horror game, what is your advice to them, given your experience making horror games? Let's start with Sam. Hey, man, whoever's making their first horror game on the other side of this <laughs> this uh, podcast, it's going to be OK. My I think my biggest advice, obviously, being a writer, I'm a little biased, but the writing's got to be strong. Um, yeah, like you can make and, and it's not it doesn't have to be like a really, really well written game. Uh, look at Five Nights at Freddy's. I think that game's terrifying. I also don't think it has a story. Um, but what it does do really well is it. it it just sets up all the pieces in the right way to make you think there's a story and then run an entire YouTube channel about theorizing what that story is for way too long. And you don't need to have this like super well-written Silent Hill-esque narrative, but it's got to, like all the writing pieces have to be in the right place. You want to leave the people playing the game thinking at least a little bit. Uh, you want to leave them... Uh, consider everything that happened in the game, thinking over everything over. Alan Wake starts with a quote, a Stephen King quote that I think they bought for a dollar, which is a very funny story. It starts with a Stephen King quote that the the greatest fear is the fear of the unknown. You should probably at least leave the gamers thinking, like going through the game, thinking, even if I don't know what happened, that terrifies me, that uh, it, it scares me, it it's leaving some lasting impression on my brain. Yeah. But the point is, yeah, you really got to nail the writing and you really got to re- nail the character development and the, 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 the setup, the building up and you can't just throw the jump scares in. Gotcha. All right. So we heard from Sam. Um, we're going to do Connor and then Shara, you're on deck. So if you're uh, if you're going to start making your first horror game or even your first game, um, the the best piece of advice I could give anyone, and and it sounds overly simplified, and it, it is uh, just make it. That's that's really the best thing I could tell anyone is just make it. I I personally, um, again, I started making games when I was like eight years old. I this was a time when game development was not like a huge thing that people did. And I didn't have anyone to teach me. Uh, and and I found the best way to learn how to do it was just by doing it. I, I jumped in. I used the Unity forums. I taught myself to code that way. I, I just over time, you figure things out. Uh, your first attempt at it is going to be bad. And you have to accept now that your first attempt is going to be bad. You release it anyways, you get feedback, and then you make another one. And that next one might be bad. And the third one might be bad. And you might make a lot of bad games. Uh, But eventually, you'll figure it out. And then you start making good games. And that's where the magic happens. That's when you start scaring people. That's when the games get fun. And that's when you start having more fun because you know other people are having a lot of fun. Um, So to reiterate, best piece of advice, just do it. Throw the jump scares in there. Do whatever you want. Making games is fun, and it'll get you better. All right. That was Connor. Shara, you're up next, and we'll have Henry on deck. Great. Um, yeah, I think that the the things that I would most want to bring up, first of all, tooling. I guess this is just general advice for anyone who's starting to make a game, but especially with the horror game, to be honest, because horror games are usually, or at least a lot of the time, are kind of built around maybe subverting expectations around something. Um, Using a certain tool set to make your game, you know, uh, I think a lot of people go straight for Unity and that's cool, but then you have to learn Unity and that's a lot. uh, (laughs) So it's a lot of work. And the thing is that you can do incredible things with a much more limited tool set if you're willing to lean into the special things that that tool set offers. Mm. Um, And like, I often see games that, um, you know, like I... I don't feel like I could pull that off. And the reason is that they are using tools that are really perfectly for what, what they're doing. Um, and, and they are like leaning into the, to the little, little things that are maybe easy to do in this one tool set that are hard to do in every single other one, you Mm -hmm. know? Um, and, uh, you know, not, not that you need to know what all those things are, but just that I think that for a new, for a new person, not being afraid to pick a toolkit that seems limited, like, 
you don't need to go to Unity or Unreal Engine. You can pick something that's limited and you'll learn how to work around those limitations and do what you want within that. Like that, that's a, that's like a more valuable skill in my opinion than like, you know, um, I mean, like obviously within the limitations of like, you might have an idea and you might need certain tools for it. Like the first thing, the second thing I wanted to mention is, is pacing because uh, Sam was mentioning like uh, a bunch of, you know, just uh, the importance of writing, the importance of the quality of basically like the narrative and the concepts and these kinds of things. Um, and I think just to add to that, I think pacing, I know that's kind of within the, you know, but like, I actually think that like for horror games, like pacing is pacing is everything for a horror game. Like uh, pacing is, you know, the idea of having loops of building tension and release that that is pacing at its core. And so like um, good pacing is usually accomplished by good planning. In, in my experience, it's very hard to wrestle a badly paced layout into a well-paced one. It's a lot, you know, so, so like planning ahead around pacing, figuring out exactly what the sequence of events is going to be, um, I think is, is, is just a really important part of the process. So I think, I think those are the two things like that I would just like emphasize if someone was like, I want to make a horror game. It's like, think about how it's going to be paced and structured. Um, and, and think about how maybe you could use tools, how, how maybe you could use tools that don't necessarily need to be unity and like a pseudo triple a kind of framework for yeah. approaching like basic game design. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Right. Just to kind of like distill what you were saying there, or at least put it in my own words if you choose a less complex tool, then you can dive deep into seeing how that tool can manipulate people's reactions and what layouts do work and what don't, right? If you have a lot of tool to learn before you can make something meaningful, um, then that's putting additional challenges in front of you. Exactly. Um, and as Connor said, get it done, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Henry, you're up. And Nick, you can close this out for this question. Henry, first time game dev Horror game dev advice. So first time horror game dev advice, honestly, echoing a lot of what's already been said. Aim aim small, finish it. Like the the first first game and probably the first several gonna suck, be terrible, but that's that's cool. That's what it's all about. <laughs> uh it is such game development is such an iterative medium in every sense of the word. Uh project to project, day by day. Uh improving over time. And honestly, this, you know, maybe contentious opinion, part of the reason why I think I've fallen into horror, I find it is a lot easier to work in as a theme and genre. I, I find that horror, especially in the sense of like being scary, is is an extreme end of like emotion. It's it's easier to reach that extreme and grasp what that is. It's easier to get reactions out of people in that way. It's yeah, simpler to understand in that, like at, at a base level, right? What what horror is. Obviously, so much of what we talked about earlier is that it's this super broad theme that can be anything. So go as complex as you want, but at at a very base level, I think it's easy for a lot of people to grasp, uh, either developing or playing. Also, take take solace in the fact that if you re release a horror game, someone is going to play it. Horror has the most rabid consumer base I've I've ever seen. People are releasing dozens of tiny first time games on itch.io every day, and they're being played and streamed constantly. That's how I got my start. Like some some random let's player played my terrible school projects and that you know motivated me and got me into the rest um it's it's a very nice space to exist in dude horror game let's players like horror games so much they're playing non-horror games and calling them horror games <laughs> <laughs> i've had i've had some of my very non-horror narrative games i found let's plays of them that have labeled it as like crazy horror game and it's like this isn't scary <laughs> summerland is the scariest game i've ever played i don't know what that, you're talking summerland about summerland had horror game let's play tags it, and it's <laughs> yeah yeah it was, it was so terrifying when i played it it was so terrifying the, the story the you know when the part where i started to cry it wasn't because it was emotional it was because it was terrifying that was when the girlfriend covered the ice <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah the, i couldn't watch that part of summerland and i say watch and not play uh, all right nick you have the mic already. Close us out on this question. What advice do you have for people who are dipping their toes into game dev and horror? 
So I think I can speak from experience only because I make really bad games. Um, I mean, I, I started off, my first game was way too big scope. So, you know, my idea in the beginning was, oh, I know, I'll make this huge game that will revolutionize um, SCP gaming and whatnot. It did not pan out that way because I didn't know anything about, you know, like everyone said, how to make how to make good pacing, what makes a good horror game in general. It kind of became accidentally a kind of good game. I, I still think people message me to this day saying, hey, I love your game from three years ago. It was, it was amazing. One of the best horror games I've ever played. And I said, how? How is that even possible? I, I never even imagined that could, that could be possible. Someone could find that game scary. But uh, here we are. I've learned a lot from that experience, though. So my advice is start very small, very small. So make a, a one-minute game if you have to. Just something. Finish the game, like everyone has said. So just finish the game. Uh, and most importantly, I think, um, have friends play it, whoever. As long as you can see their reaction and also see what they think about it, that's how you'll learn a lot from it. Because if you have people playing it and then they just don't find it scary, you know, you can, that's even a learning experience. Then if the game's bad, you learn from that, make it better. Mm-hmm. So all in all, just, you know, make make your first game, start something small, think of a stupid idea and just, just go with it. Don't think of anything that will uh, revolutionize the market because it, it won't. Get out there, scare some people, have fun. Yeah. Okay, so let's wrap it up. Um, the last thing I want to do is just find out where listeners can follow you and find each of you online if you'd like to share. We've had people come on the show and they're like, I'm not really online and that's cool. So let's do names one more time. Let's go in the same order as before. And yeah, just say your name again, followed by one or two places for people to look you up. Or you can say, I pass. I'm not on the internet. That's also fine too. <laughs> uh, Sam, you're up again. All right. Um, hi, I'm Samuel Guillermo still. Uh, somehow we made it through this whole podcast. I I still have the same name. You can find me on Twitter at S Golgi S G U L G I. Yes, I did spell my last name wrong in my own Twitter handle. I don't want to talk about it. And you can find me at Blue Sky at uh, I'm Sam. All right, Nick, you want to go next? So I'm not Sam. Um... My socials mostly are developer pages, so nickf.itch.io, or, you know, search up nickf, uh, nick space f, and you'll find me on Google, and you'll find all my socials there. All right, uh, my name is Connor Rush. Uh, I actually never mentioned it. My studio is called Fire Games, F-Y-R-E Games. Uh, you can find all my stuff at fyregames.com, uh, and my biggest social platform, as embarrassing as it is, is TikTok. Um, you can find me as some dude named Connor, uh, C-O-N-N-E-R. I'm Shara Weiss. Um, you can find me on co-host at Shara, S-C-H-E-R-A. Or if you're still using Twitter, I guess you could find me at, uh, at T-A-E-C-K-E-R-W-Y-S-S. And Henry. Uh, the most safe place to find me is at henryhor.com, H-E-N-R-Y-H-O-A-R-E.com. And on Twitter and most places, I'm henryhor8. All right. So we'll post all those links and things to the show notes. So if listeners didn't catch that on the audio, you can just visit nicegames.club and see the show notes from today's episode. That's our show. For show notes and socials and additional links from today's conversation, go to our website, nicegames.club. Visit us on social media at Nice Games Club, where Dale posts about game dev resources and programmer job portfolios, also sometimes cats. Reply on the various platforms or email us, contact at nicegames.club. Nice Games Club is on Patreon. Support the show and get stuff, including ad-free episodes. Sign up at patreon.com slash nicegamesclub. And if you want to keep things more casual, just stop by nicegames.club slash discord and say hello. Next week, Mark will help us understand composition over inheritance. And I'll probably have something useful too. But that's it for this week. And it's just me. So until we start again, remember to play nice and make nice. Crazy thumbs up from Connor. 
Good thumbs up from everyone else. Okay, cool. Step up your game. (laughs) (laughs) When I said earlier, you guys need to step up your game on the thumbs up. That was not true. You all did really good thumbs up. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.